Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Last week we spoke, we're in the third week of response, and last week we spoke about I am valued. And uh, this is Life Group Sunday. So usually at Life Groups, when we meet in our homes, in our Life Groups, we have an icebreaker question, a question just for fun, just to kind of get us talking. And I'm going to give you a question at your tables this morning and for you to answer. But I got to tell you, my Life Group family already knows the answer to this question, so you must be mute. You can smile, but not say anything. All right, so here's the question. Are you ready for this? In my life group, you know the answer, so just kind of smile. One of these two 1962 Gibson J60E guitars is worth significantly more than the other. What one do you think it is and why? Talks amongst yourselves. See if you can use your investigative brains thinking why one is worth more than the other. They look the same, sound the same, they're the same, just two different uh, guitars. All right, take a moment and do that. All right, so the question is, both of these are 1962 Gibson J160E guitars. One is worth significantly more than the other. How many think the guitar on the left is worth more? Oh, you're not always brave, but June does. How many think, oh, not June. Do you guys at that table think it is? How many on the right? Okay, tell me why. It looks used, so it's worth more? So yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. So, so you're getting it. The principal in the group is, is a smart man. He knows, he knows the answer. Um, la- oh, you Googled it? See, that's cheating. That is just cheating. Sam, go to the principal's office right now. I forget that's changing the world today now. You kids can Google the answers. I mean, um, last week you spoke on value, and we can live our lives knowing we're greatly valued by God. And I want to tell you why today, based on these pictures, okay? Number one, value depends. The value of something depends on what someone is willing to pay for it. Now, both of these are wonderful vintage guitars. The guitar on the left is uh, worth about $8,500. Somebody get paid for that guitar. Um, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. But eight, someone would think, a lot of people think that's worth $8,500. The guitar on the right was bought a few years ago for $2.4 million. Um, what is the difference? I said, the first thing I said what is someone willing to pay for it? And someone's willing to pay 85 for 100 for that one. Someone 2.4 for the other one. But secondly, value of something depends on who owns it. And I don't know who owned the guitar on the left, but the guitar on the right was, was owned by this guy, uh, John Lennon, the Beatles. And so someone paid $2.4 million for it. And why I want to tell you that, based on last week's message, is the value of something depends on what someone's willing to pay for it. You know what God paid for you? A high price. His son. So don't be enslaved by the world. You are valuable. You are so loved and important. It says he gave his one and only son. If you believe in him, 
that you will have, you will not perish but have eternal life. God hate paid a high price for you. And the second thing was the value of something can depend on who owns it. Um, but to all who believe in him, accept him, he gave them, he gave them the right to be children of God. So if you follow Christ, if you accept him, it's not just a, an idea, a thought, a philosophy, but he actually is Lord of your life. You are a children of God. And when you are, when God is your father, he is, you know, he, he, you belong to him. That makes you valuable. So know that you are paid for a high price by a high price and know that you belong to God, which means you are valuable. I want you to remember that today as we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look on to the fact that I am anguished. And I'd love to have you follow along this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, there are, we looked uh, already in, in 1 Samuel how there's three main players at this point. There's Elkanah. He is an obscure man from an obscure place. He has a wife he loves very much named Hannah, we saw. And however much of her anguish, Hannah's unable to conceive and have children. So Elkanah does something that God permitted but did not promote back in that day. It was culturally acceptable. Uh, he took a second wife named Paniah. And Paniah had many children while Hannah remained barren. So we're going to remember that there's Elkanah, there's Hannah has no children, and then Paniah who has many children. And so we're going to pick up here today um, in our scripture in verse 3 to 6. And in your notes you'll find it. So each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice, and this is important, I underline this because it's important, Lord of Heaven's armies. We're going to talk about that later at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were two sons, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to Paniah and each of her children. And he loved Hannah, and though he loved Hannah, he gave, would give her only one portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Some versions say the Lord had closed her womb. And that's the Lord's way of saying to Hannah in this particular story, wait. You know me, I don't like waiting. You know me. Um, I hate waiting in lines. Uh, border crossings often frustrate me, as the Ganyas found out. I hate waiting for someone when they're supposed to be here and they're not here. I'm the guy at the grocery store standing behind you with my 12 items or less, counting your 26 items out on the, in the, onto the uh, cash register. I don't like waiting, but I know there have been times in my life when God has come and said, and I'm sure he has to use, said, Mark, wait. And every time God has told me to wait, something better was in the works than what, what, I, what I was trying to accomplish every time. God said, I know you want this. I know you're not patient. I know that this, but you just wait. You just trust me. And every time I did, God had something better. Have you ever visited a, a big shopping mall? And, you know, and you're, and you're there and your time is limited and you're standing there trying to find a particular store. You have no idea where it is. Is it down this long hallway? Is it down this long hallway? Is it on the upper level, the lower level? You have no idea. You've got to find this store. You only have a short amount of time. And so what do you do? 
You don't want to wander around, so you don't waste any time. You go to the mall directory, and you find where the store is located on the map. And you find the store and you, on the list, and then you look at the mall's directory map, and you see the number section where the store is. You notice the color of it, and we've all done this, right, to save time. So now you know where the store is on the map, but before you can set off for the store, you have to know where you are on the map. So you begin to locate that little round colored sticker on the directory map, directory map which says those three words. You know what they are? You are here. You are here. <laughs> you need to know where you are before you can go where you want to be. And once you discover here, where here is, and where there is, you can set off to get to where you want to be, because there's where you want to be, here's not where you want to be. And speaking in terms of living our life here, for some of us, well, for a lot of us, is not where we want to be. Here means I'm waiting to get there. I want to be there, but I'm here. For some of us, there's the right school to get an education. There it could be finding the right spouse to live together happily ever after. For those of us, it might be there could be the kids I want. There could be the job I need or the promotion I deserve. There can be the amount of money I need to make to do what I want to do. Or there could be the way I want to look. Or there could be the right house in the right neighborhood. I want to be there. I'm not content with being here. But there are these times, my friends, when God comes alongside of you and says, I have you living here right now for a, for a reason. And so now you need to wait, and I need you to trust me here. I can't speak for you, but I, I am not a patient waiter. I keep telling you that. I'm getting better I don't understand if, why if a doctor makes an appointment for 1.30, I'm still in his office at 3 o'clock. I don't get it. I'm the guy who gets frustrated when I have to stop at the railroad crossing on Stanley Avenue and wait for a very long train to cross the road. And I'm the guy who gets really frustrated when that same long train crosses 500 meters down the same road. Again, you know what I'm talking about? Comes across like this, winds up, comes out like this, and you go, no! We hear somebody screaming from over that way, that's me. I feel I'm not accomplishing what I need to be accomplishing when I'm waiting. I don't like here because it means I'm not there. However, in your notes, this is why we need to talk about this today. I've come to learn the value of here because here is where God meets me and prepares me for there. God seems to accomplish a lot here. It's where we learn to trust him, to wait upon him, not to move ahead of him, knowing he sees around the corners that we can't see and saying, I don't understand, but I know you, so I'm trusting you here. Carl read for us this morning a promise that God made to us as we wait in Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but for those who trust in the Lord... Some of your Bible versions will say, those who wait upon the Lord. And what God is saying to us is, you are here. You need to wait here upon me. You need to trust in me while you are here. And then notice the outcome if we would do that. For those who do this, the Bible says, they will find new strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But first, I need to trust God here and wait upon him here before they. I was reading in the book of Lamentations once, I remember a couple years ago, and discovered a passage regarding those times when I can feel, we feel so hopeless in life. And it says, you are here and you really want to be there. It says this, it says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. That's anguish. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's feeling anguish. Yet I still dare to hope. Well, why? I still dare to hope when I remember this. This is the reason. The faithful love of God, the Lord, never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's a choice, by the way, when you're here. The hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, who trust in him, who wait upon him, to those who search for him, who spend time here, look, knowing him, hearing from him. So it is good to wait quietly without pouting and whining for salvation from the Lord. Read that passage every morning for a week and see what it would do if it would not change you. So back to our text, 1 Samuel. <clears throat> year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah, horrible, as he went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Her husband would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? That's a dangerous question to ask. <laughs> Why, yes, honey. Uh, Hannah was barren, and Paniah used this chance to taunt her and mock her. And verse 3 tells us how the family went up to Shiloh to worship God. And you can imagine Paniah saying, Hannah, what do you have to worship God for? What do you, what, I mean, the name Hannah actually means grace or favor. So you can almost hear Paniah saying, how has God shown you favor and grace in your life by closing your womb? Hannah was in so much anguish, the Bible says she couldn't eat. And Elkanah asked her why. Hannah was barren, and for her, this was a time to pray. If God could close the room, then perhaps God would open her womb. So we read the very next verse. Once after the sacrificial meal at Shiloh, uh, after that meal, Hannah got up and went to pray. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. When you look up the word barrenness to better understand what it means, one of the definitions you find is this, unproductive. Who wants to be unproductive in life? Barrenness had an extra uh, meaning in the Old Testament for Israel because the people knew God was going to bring a savior through their people. They're anticipating, they've been promised since Genesis, a Savior is coming. A Savior is coming through you. And God made that promise to Adam and he made it to Abraham. And so before Jesus came, the people were always looking for the Savior from within their people. Every new birth raised the question, is this the one? Could this be the one? Has the time come? One commentator, Tim Chester, said this. He said, without children, there was no future for God's people and ultimately no hope for the world. So barrenness was a personal tragedy, just as it is today, but it also carried a sense of exclusion 
from the purposes of God's people. So when a woman became pregnant, she would be hopeful, wondering, might I be the mother of the one, the savior of the world? But to be barren meant you're excluded. You can't participate in what God wants to do in your people. So Hannah is being taunted. You're unproductive. You're contributing nothing to the purpose of our people. You are useless. And how horrible it would be to me to feel that you have nothing to contribute. You have nothing of value. I hope no one here at the gate ever would feel that way. It would break my heart. This is how Hannah would have felt, and she would have said to herself, Paniah gets to participate in the hope of Israel. She's been given many children. She's productive. She gets to be part of what God is doing. But I've been taken out of the game. I'm not able to participate. But Hannah didn't settle there. We just read, while Hannah was maybe childless, but she was not prayerless. And so we continue to read. Smaller uh, font, but I don't want to see it all at once. Sorry about that. But it says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. Here's that title again. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son that I will give him back to you, he will be yours for his entire lifetime. As a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was preparing, uh, praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, the priest in the temple. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And would you notice how what Hannah is praying out of here? She is praying out of deep anguish, verse 10. Verse 10, she's, she's praying out of bitterly weeping. She's praying from a place in verse 11 of sorrow. Verse 15, she's very discouraged. Verse 15, she's pouring out her heart. Verse 16, not just anguish, but great anguish. And then not just sorrow, but great sorrow. That, this is the place, that's here, here. For Hannah. Anguish, discouragement, sorrow, weeping. And this is where she's praying from. It's the place where she feels hopeless. I wonder if you've ever been there. Dale Rice, uh, Dale, sorry, Ralph Davis writes this. He says, it's true. God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. Because we're slow sometimes. We're not ready to cry out and look to him until we are at the bottom of the barrel. Jim, Tim Chester again writes this. One of the main reasons we do not pray more is that we do not feel the need to pray. Listen to this. We think we can manage without God. And so our prayers end up, end up a duty to perform, options in our busy day, Prayer was not a duty or an option for Hannah. She did not get up from the meal because she had realized she had not had her quiet time that day. It was the cry of an anguished soul. 
So we're going to do one more life group exercise, just as the last one today. I want you at your tables to share. And not everybody have a chance to share with this because there's not enough time, but some of you might be able to share, because life groups, we share life. We share the good, we share the struggles um, with each other. Can you recall a time in your life when, like Hannah, prayer went beyond what could be considered as ritual or, or duty? Instead, like a hurt child, you cried out in sorrow and anguish to the Lord. Can you just maybe share time uh, with each other? Just doesn't have to share as much as you want or little as you want, but just share that time in your life, what it looked like and what happened. Let's take a few moments and do that together. One of the things I love about life groups is you get to learn about people much more deeply than just on Sunday morning and after, before service. You get to know their stories. And I, even this week, I heard three incredible stories. I even thought about getting them shared today, but time wouldn't allow. But one from our own life group and a couple stories we had at elders uh, meeting at the close this last week. It's amazing to hear how God's working. We, I'm encouraged by it. That's why I think it's important that we, we get together and share uh, not only you know, the victories, but the struggles and how God met us in those times. The point I would love to make it is this. The cry of a child, and you are a child. The cry of a child is a cry of faith. Because when a child cries, they're believing someone is there, out there, who can hear them and who will respond to them. You're just mommy or daddy. The cry, the, prayer, the cry of a prayer is the cry of faith because it comes from the belief that God is there. And he hears you. And he wants to respond to you. And here's the good news. He is listening. He is able. And he's willing and loving enough to answer you. We continue. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies. Remember I told you that um, that was underlined in our notes or to underline that in your scripture if you do that. I want to stop there because this title of God and back in verse 3, where Hannah, it says Hannah went to worship the Lord of heaven's armies. And then here it says she made a vow to the lords of heaven's armies. This is the first time we find this in the Bible, God using this title. And it's significant because um, Lord of heaven's armies, it means this. God who fights on behalf of his people. God is being revealed here as a God who fights on behalf of of his people. So Hannah worships a God who fights on behalf of his people. Now she's praying to the Lord of heaven's armies. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. But what does that mean? Why did she say that? Hannah is making something that was known in Bible times as a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow came from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to be separated or concentrated, set apart. And the Nazarite vow would be taken by individuals, individuals sorry, who voluntarily, on their own behalf, God never commanded it, but who wanted to make this decision and this action, I want to be completely given over for the purposes of God. And in a few cases, parents did that on behalf of their children. 
when they were born. As they dedicate the child, they would connect this Nazarite vow to it. Samson is one. Remember, he never cut his hair. That's why. That's where, you know, the Naz- uh, John the Baptist was another one. His mother made a Nazarite vow, dedicated him fully to God. And, and then here's first in Samuel. Hannah is making the same vow to her that his hair would never be cut. Because that's like a sign. And they wouldn't drink any alcohol. And uh, the other one, they don't think you could touch a dead body. But that was a sign. When you saw someone walk around with long hair, that person has made a vow fully and completely to serve God. And growing your hair, not cutting it, became a visible public symbol of a fully surrendered person. Now, that Hannah is willingly and voluntarily making this is what God is hoping all of us would do. That, you know, that we would want, not have to, but want to dedicate our lives to him, trusting him, allowing him to lead us on the wings as eagles, as it says in Isaiah 40, 31. And it's important that this child comes. Last week, I, I told you the climate in Israel at this time was described to us in Judges 17.6. It said, instead of people being obedient to God, basically, they choose, chose to do what was right in their own eyes. That's how people lived back then. Everybody was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, which is like an image of chaos. That's what, he, that's what was happening. And so this is a barren time in Israel's history. And God is ready to cultivate some fruit out of a barren ground. God is going to honor Hannah's, Hannah's prayer and vow by bringing forth a son who will be fully surrendered and work and serve God. And from a worldly perspective, as we mentioned last week, and we'll see this child will be seen as a nobody. Born of a, no, born of a nobody, Hannah. From a place where nobody lives in Ramah. However, God will use this nobody to be a somebody. God is going to bring hope to a barren people by bringing a son to a barren woman. She'll give birth to a boy named Samuel, and he'll be used incredibly by God, the Lord of heaven's armies, fighting on behalf of his people. I remember that title means a lot to me because I remember once in a period of my life where I felt a lot of anguish. And I was reading Samuel at the time, 1 Samuel, and so like Hannah, I said, I'm going to pray out of this anguish, not just wallow in it. I'm going to pray to God in it. And as I was praying, I heard God say to me, and he has done this a few times. I never test him, but if I hear him say this, he says, open up your Bible randomly. So I opened up my Bible randomly and said, God, where do you want me to go from here? And he goes, don't go. Just look down the very first thing you see. That's what I want you to know. So I looked. I was in Isaiah Chapter 3, verse 1, and the first words I read on that page were this, the Lord of heaven's armies. I thought, remember that title, what that means? A God who fights on behalf of his people. And that's all I needed to read and hear. Sometimes we just need to know God is here with us. And I remember shouting out loud in my office, no way! My secretary, what's happening in there? But I was so excited because I knew God was saying, Mark, I'm here. I'm fighting for you. What could more could any of us ask? And God wants you to know, if you would seek him and call out to him, here, he is with you here. And he's fighting for you. And he will take you there if you trust him and wait on him. So the rest of, we read on in our stories, we come closer to the end here. 
As she was praying to the Lord, Eli washed her. We read this part already. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything the stronger, but I'm very discouraged. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't, don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And then we read this. In that case, the priest said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back, and I wanted you to see this, and began to eat. And she was no longer sad. Because earlier we saw Hannah was in such great anguish, she was not eating. Remember, Elkanah says, why aren't you eating? Her husband's saying, why aren't you eating? She was in so much anguish and sorrow. But now we see this phrase, then Hannah eats again. Which means she's no longer in anguish. She's no longer sad, the Bible says. And the question I have for you is this. Has her circumstances changed yet? No. She's still barren. She has no child. She's still childish. But she's no longer focusing on the problem. She's focusing on the one who solves problems. She's now choosing to place her hope in the future and the life upon the Lord of the heaven's armies to be worked, to be her warrior and defender. Hannah has prayed and now she's happy to leave it with God. That's faith. That's waiting on the Lord. That's trusting in the Lord here. Hannah is the poster child for this truth in the New Testament. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, the Bible says. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. That's faith. Then you'll experience, then, I love the word then, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember back in the day, people lived doing whatever they thought was right. But now we say, no, I want to live in what Christ says is right. Then you'll experience God's peace. So conclusion. No doubt, there are some of us here even today, and even just amongst this many people, who are living in a place that they would say, this is here. I want to be there, whatever that might be. And you are experiencing anguish. And it's a place of waiting because you desperately want to be there. And maybe that place there is is a place of healing, um, of delight, not despair. And you wonder where God is. God is here with you. Remember anything today, God is here in the waiting, in the anguish. And he says, if you would trust, on, trust in me, and if you would wait with me here, you're going to find strength. You're going to soar on the wings of eagles. You're going to run and not grow weary. But for now, I have you here. Go eat. Be grateful. Give thanks. And Lord, so we want to do that today because we understand what Hannah would feel. Not maybe because we had the same circumstances, but God, things have happened in our lives that cause us great anguish and how we don't like it. And so God, we cry out to you. She answered, she went to you in prayer. and We can do that today. So on behalf of our people, I pray for those of us who see and find ourselves here in anguish that we would trust in you and wait on you, God. 
believing in a victory, believing in hope, Lord, knowing that you will never fail. And God, we can rely on you today and tomorrow. We certainly will for all the years of our lives as we see you someday face to face. So Lord, remind us. Speak to us today in our anguish. And hear our prayers. And remind and tell us that you are here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.